Welcome to the Crypto Campfire. They know today is the perfect date because it's not too hot and it's not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. Mitch and the Professor. Featuring special guest Ashton Addison. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Campfire Podcast. This is the Professor. And Mitch. And today we're going to be talking with Ashton Addison, the founder of Event Chain and host of the Crypto Coin Show. But before we start talking to Ashton, let's grab that crypto news from the Crypto Gen. Thanks, Professor. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the Crypto Coin News in a flash with the Crypto Gent. Power Ledger using blockchain to let French citizens choose their green energy source. And Mbappe, the French footballer, denounces scam that used his image to sell crypto investments. That's the cryptocurrency news in a flash with the crypto gent. And it's back to you, Professor. Thanks a lot, crypto gent. Mitch, this episode is going to bring back some good memories. I know you and I had an amazing time in Los Angeles. In fact, that was yes. the best or tied for the best convention I've ever been to. It was It, it was, was definitely, hands down, it was, it, I mean that you've ever been to, you know, for me, I would say that, um, Philly was pretty good when I went to that, um, convention. That was a, that was a pretty good, well put on event. Um, but yeah, this one was definitely awesome. Seriously. Shout out to Alon and Joseph for, putting oh, for that sure. on. shout out to Etoro and, uh, uh, Wendy O and Tron for the killer after parties. It was just an amazing time. And Monarch. So, Monarch. Yep. Yeah, Monarch on the end, uh, uh, Blockchain Beach on the boat. Man, what a good weekend. Yeah, um, it was. Ashton, uh, I think we first started talking to him for the first time at the uh, Windy meetup, the uh, Windy O's meetup, the Tron meetup. Um, yeah, it's the taco really party. Awesome. The taco party. Yeah, yeah, it yes. was super cool. Um, that was awesome. Amazing tacos, by the way. And I really wish I could remember the name of that, uh, the taco company right now. I'd plug them too. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> they were awesome. Uh, and I, I remember talking to that guy about crypto and, and stuff. So yeah, the, yeah, we should talk about that uh, later in the podcast too, because that was a really cool conversation that you had. So we'll definitely get into that too. Um, let's bring Ashton in and let's go to town. Hell yeah. Ashton, what's going on, man? Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on the show and uh, I'm glad to catch up again. And yeah, you're right. Los Angeles was one of the most amazing conferences and I'm glad that we ran into each other. And I think that uh, this is going to be a little bit of a great show and probably the start of something even greater that uh, we can build on as we grow uh, the crypto community as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem, man. It was, it was really good to meet you and we're stoked to have this conversation. Welcome to the campfire. How did you get into crypto in the first place? And once you got in, what actually got you hooked? This is a super interesting story because uh, it, my father actually got me into crypto. You know, it's not as often that your parents are the ones convincing you to buy crypto. Right. Um, but my father's been a tech founder uh, since the dot-com days. And uh, in 2013, he had the idea of creating a, a media company to help promote the cryptocurrency industry and to try to bring this technology to the mainstream. Um, and it, at the time I was doing a business degree in finance and accounting and, uh, and it was sort of the perfect blend of technology and finance. That's what really attracted me towards it in the, in the long term. Uh, but right when, uh, I got into it sort of around the time when the Ethereum ICO was starting and uh, my father was involved in that and he gave me a few, uh, Bitcoin to, uh, to get me involved. And, you know, this was at a, maybe around when it was $200 or so and, um, started building media around 
trying to promote the industry. But at the time, the market cap was so low. Ethereum wasn't out yet. Uh, there weren't any altcoins or really money being injected into the industry. So it was a lot tougher than it is now uh, to have a show even like this to, to get any viewers. It was just like the diehard Bitcoin fans. Um, but we, we managed to push through it um, for a few years, um, trying to produce a digital magazine, which eventually turned into a YouTube channel, which we're still running today called the Crypto Coin Show. And I'm glad that we uh, stuck to it because, you know, once uh, that the, the ICO craze came in, uh, a lot more people got interested and institutional investors and lots of uh, more capital injected into the industry. And now there's so much support for the community. And um, I'm, I'm glad to sort of be a part of that as, as it grew from its infancy. So that's sort of where, we are, where we're at right now um, on the media side. Um, and then we did start Event Chain as well in 2017 as their own blockchain project to try and bring blockchain to a specific industry and make a difference in the world. So that was kind of going to be our next question. What, what, you know, what exactly does Event Chain do? Yeah, so the story is in, in 2017, we were running Crypto Coin Show and we were seeing all these interesting projects come up that were utilizing Ethereum blockchain for specific use case industries and thought, hey, you know, this is actually providing a lot of value to a lot of different industries. And there was an industry that we were close to, and I used to run an event production company in 2012. And it's a pretty common uh, problem right now where, you know, a couple of years back, I bought some tickets for events and the tickets were, end up being counterfeit, right? And when you get to the venue, not only do you do not, uh, you're not allowed in the venue, you also lose your money. Um, yeah. and, and then you, they tell you to go home. It's a horrible experience. Right. And we realized that 12 million people just in the States, just for concerts each year, actually buy tickets and then they end up being fake and they lose their money and they get kicked out and they're not allowed to go in. Um, and we're like, this is like a ridiculously easy thing to solve with blockchain technology, integrating the tickets onto a blockchain so you can turn them into a scarce digital asset and prove that they're authentic. Uh, through the blockchain transactions so that you're not buying a fake ticket you don't get ripped off and you're just allowed to go into the events that you thought you were going to go into um you know wh whereas buying a pdf ticket and people are often double selling tickets or creating fake tickets and selling them and uh, it seemed like this would be something that would make perfect sense and and help people across north america and across the world go to events and, and be able to actually enjoy events and have fun. So that was the original intention behind the idea. And uh, we started it in 2017 and it took us about uh, 12 to 15 months to produce some kind of a product. And we launched it into the market and we've ticketed in 27 countries so far and, and we're continually growing and trying to stop uh, counterfeiting and fraud and unfair ticketing practices using blockchain. And I think it's, it's going very well so far, but we're really still at the beginning. Awesome. That sounds great. So I'm kind of wondering, do you guys do anything as far as protecting uh, the attendees on that front? Like, I'm wondering if EventChain has an application in uh, helping the with the issues that were experienced by people and with the Massive Adoption Conference. I don't know if you saw anything that went down with that, but basically the conference was, was set up and people bought tickets and paid for sponsorships and stuff like that. And then uh, cash flow issues came up. I don't really know what happened, but any, anyhow, the guy couldn't yeah. fund, he couldn't fund the conference anymore. So mm -hmm. um, everybody's kind of stuck. Do you guys do any, anything on that front or is it more towards for the conferences themselves at this point? 
definitely. It's it's very possible. Um, the current iteration is purely focused on stopping counterfeit ticketing and duplication of tickets and um, also managing the tickets on the secondary market for scalping to ensure that people aren't marking up tickets, you know, 500%, which they often do for, for major concerts. Um, but it is very possible in our future iterations to work with smart contracts where the funds can be held in escrow until the event actually, you know, starts and the organizers have earned those funds and then they're released. Otherwise they can automatically be, you know, returned to the attendees. Um, and it depends on how the event works because often event organizers need those funds to pay for the artists and the venues uh, before the event starts, right? So they can get in a dilemma where they, they collect some funds for the tickets and then they use those funds to try and set up the event. And then if the event goes sideways, they've used up those funds and they owe those funds. Uh, but in the case of using smart contracts, you can definitely automate uh, the return of funds, especially now with all these other side use case applications where um, you can create a smart contract and request funds or, or have a pull feature to pull funds back uh, automatically based on certain conditions. So that's something that we're working in future iterations as well. And that would solve that problem. Time is of the essence, sir. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. That's for sure. There's definitely a lot of interesting challenges that go along with trying to solve that problem. Like you said, you know, even just how do you determine that the event was actually held successfully and who makes the decision that the funds get released, you know, and, and if it's not a human being, then how do we write the code that handles that? So that it doesn't end up screwing anybody in the end. There's, there's things that you can build in there, but it would be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. Definitely. And you know, in the cryptocurrency industry uh, with these smart contracts, there's no, you know, right way to do things when you're the first person to do it. And it's sort of been that, you know, self-regulation, self-exploration in sometimes you have to do things wrongly to, to figure out how to do it right. Right. And um, sort of like the DAO, you know, like yeah. let's make a decentralized organization and then there's an <laughs> error. That's a big lesson that you learn now not to do that in the next iterations. But when it was the first one of its kind, how do you, know you know what to expect in terms of the hurdles and the challenges of facing it so it's very interesting especially for us in the event industry uh traditionally event organizers are not technical people um so when you're telling them hey you know we can integrate blockchain technology uh to to help save your tickets the first question is what is blockchain right so that's been a um, an interesting barrier to cross and i think that sort of you know, to implement the blockchain properly, you have to have it not so front facing and more just as the as the back end infrastructure, but focus on the user experience on the front end that makes it so that any layman or any person who doesn't understand cryptocurrency can still buy a ticket with their credit card and then just scan the ticket and see, you know, right in front of them, oh, the ticket's valid. And it can be transferred or it can't be transferred with these specific limitations rather than starting them with a blockchain 101 course and trying to, you know, get into the intricacies of the technology to understand how it works. They just want to buy a ticket and go to an event and not get ripped off. Right. So I think that's uh, one of the major differentiators that, that companies that utilize blockchain technology need to focus on in order to bring mainstream adoption is you almost have to act as if, you're not using blockchain. And if you don't see blockchain, then it will be successfully implemented. 
because whenever you have it at the front, there's all those technical uh, barriers to entry and yeah, it's almost like you have to start from the beginning on what is this, right? You don't want to see it. You just want to be able to buy a ticket and don't need to know about blockchain. So it's, it's, it's interesting how um, a lot of blockchain companies have, um, they want to showcase that it's blockchain because it's exciting. But at the same time, in these industries, they don't care what solution uh, programming language is as long as it does the job. Right. It's not about how it works. It's does it work. That's true. So I got to ask you, if, if, if you could have one fictional product from any TV show made for you, what would it be and why? Well, um, <laughs> that's a very interesting question. Um, we like to keep things mixed up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I would say um, if, if I could get something like out of the Jetsons, you know, some more futuristic technology, um, which is actually, you know, not too far away. If we could get some like VTOL technology that also integrated uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain and it would allow you to do what you want to do while traveling around the world, um, that would, you know, sort of be ideal for me because then I could, you could focus on browsing the web and, and focusing on your interests and while still doing your day-to-day tasks, but not having to go through these remedial you know, things in the middle where you have to take time to commute. And, you know, that's just, it takes so much yeah. time out of the day. So that would be a huge one for me. And I hope that that comes in, you know, the next few decades here. Uh, and of course, everything's going to come in iterations, but I believe we'll get to that point at one point. I think we're incredibly close to it. I mean, we've got with blockchain enabling microtransactions on this level, the, the options are almost limitless, you know? we're starting to put these pieces together where we have this mm-hmm. framework where our possessions can actually work for us mm-hmm. and you can do what you want. Definitely. Yeah. We're already seeing it in all of these sharing economies, you know, with, with ride sharing. Uh, the next version of that is just being able to put your money uh, where your mouth is and, and be able to micro invest and, you know, invest sharing where no longer can you not afford a house because you have to buy it by yourself. Um, you can have a group of people and and the problem with that is that there's all this legal work and complications, but if you can automate that and have it all on a secure system, like on a blockchain, um, you know, not only can we micro invest in in properties together, but we could micro invest in, in anything, um, which is going to change, um, the way that people live, uh, forever, for sure. All right, so let's go way in the future now. Super sci-fi here. What are your thoughts on the following hypothetical situation? We've discovered a way to link circuitry somehow to your brain so that we store information in your brain and or harness processing power from your brain. So like cloud computing with your brain. And now people are able to connect and share their brain power and or storage. I think that that is something that is super exciting. Um, and is super fearful as well because there's so many things, you know, that could, uh, if, you know, like if a hack, if cybersecurity and hackers could hack in, then there's things to worry about on that end as well. Um, where you've sort of lost control of your, of your brain power and your, your computing power. And they're almost synonymous to each other at this point, you know, brain power is computing power when, um, things like the neural link come in. I was just talking about this with one of my coworkers and you know, how we'll be able to connect through brainwaves and like it will actually make life that much more efficient. Um, 
but there's always a, a need for uh, keeping security in uh, in mind as well. Um, but I would say that uh, it's probably going to happen again in the next few decades. And everything, uh, just like cryptocurrencies, takes a bit of a, an, an adoption curve. So there will be some innovators and some early adopters, and it will take quite a lot longer uh, for, for late adopters and everybody to start implementing that. Uh, but there will be tests done on it. And I'm excited to see uh, that happen because we already are extensions of technology. You know, holding I'm holding the phone in my hand right now, but in the next decade, I'll, it could be a chip in my arm and it will be the exact same thing. Uh, and then we'll have HUD screens in front of our vision and then it will just go from there. So I'm super excited about it. I'm so glad I'm old. <laughs> I am. I'm so glad I'm old. That's way too much change for this one. But it sounds really slick. I mean, the potential realistically for the future for anything is endless. I mean, it, it, right now I feel that we're only, we're only limited by our imaginations in, the, in, in, in life and by development of anything. You're only limited by your imagination – and and I guess ultimately the dollar value, you know, of what it is that you, there's something to be said about that as well, um, you know, as far as where we can go in the future. But I think it's I think it's limitless to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, you you sound pretty sharp. You're you're. I remember talking to you now, and then um, you you had to have graduated probably within the last five years. Yes, from high school. Uh, from university, I graduated about five years ago, so I do look fairly young, but uh, high school is about 10 years now. Okay, okay, cool. Well, when you were growing up, when do you think you started with computers? Well, this was before iPhones and iPads were created, uh, but every child seems to have their own iPad, right? And that doesn't mean yeah. that they're doing productive things with it. Uh, but in no. the case of myself, <laughs> you know, my father had the hindsight to introduce me to computers at a very young age. And it's almost like it was meant to be that he introduced me to cryptocurrency uh, on the dawn of Ethereum, right? Because he actually gave me a computer for my second birthday and then gave me oh, okay. educational and programming languages and was like, do these, you're going to need this in 20 years. Right. So he, oh, knew, wow. he had the, he had the, uh, the insight um, of, he, he still has a lot of business ideas technology wise that haven't been implemented today um, in you know, in the dot-com days, his company was was putting television on the internet, and people believed that he was insane. They're like, "We're never going to watch TV on our on our the internet. Why would we watch it on the <laughs> internet when we can watch it on a giant TV screen, right?" And nowadays, right. everyone watches it on their phone, and they're like, "You were right, right?" So <laughs> yeah, you know, when they're watching it on their giant TV screen, they're watching it on the internet. Exactly. You know, <laughs> for the most part, a lot of people when they think about the future, they they tend to extrapolate on one single piece of technology and forget about how the rest of it is going to evolve with it. They mm -hmm. just think about, okay, well now the only change that I'm thinking about is that now we're watching TV on the internet, but the internet as we know it is still the same. So it's dial up, and we have like you know, 14 inch computer screens, and that's it. So mm -hmm. you know they forget to think, okay, well how does the internet speed change and how does the device reviewing it on change and how does the in integrations between all these things change? And that's where you end up with the people that can see it uh, ahead of the times and get in early on these things because they extrapolate on every factor and start. To right. But from a, from a layman's standpoint, you know, somebody like myself back in the day, you know, I mean, our minds can't wrap around that. 
right? From a dev, from a dev and technical side, you guys that have been in, in development or in technical um, aspects of technology for since you were born or, or for years, you know, you can wrap your head around that stuff a lot easier and say, yeah, this is just a stepping stone. But when, when you're, when you're not programmed with that thought process, mm-hmm. it's harder to wrap your head around the fact that we'll be in vehicles that actually float and don't touch the ground. <laughs> right. And it's certainly not an intelligence issue. You know, it's just a, no. it's a background slash current experience issue. You know, it's not something that you've ever thought about or know enough about the tech to to think about just because it's not been your path in life. Like, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's yep. just, you've not been introduced to that. And so you haven't had the opportunity to do that type of thinking on that particular area. So, right. But I mean, like back in the day, you know, what's his name? Uh, Buck Rogers or even, um, Oh, there was another guy that he had the jet pack, right? And he flew around with this jet pack on his back. And, you know, we all, everybody back in the, in the 70s and 80s thought, oh my God, that's so cool. You know, look at that. And it was, it was just far fetched. And there's no way in hell I would have thought back then one day we would see a guy flying around, standing on a board, literally, and flying everywhere. Right. Right. So I, I, it's just, it's crazy how things evolve. Yeah, when you look at the sci-fi from like the yeah. early 50s. We've accomplished 60s, it all. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Basically. It's, it's kind of cool. It's, right. it's really cool. I mean, the only thing we really haven't really accomplished is team me up, Scotty. What the hell? <laughs> Maybe we haven't. And that's coming. Seen it. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, so Ashton, I understand you're kind of a chronic concert goer. Yeah, yeah. You've been to all sorts of concerts from Eminem to Skrillex to Elton John. That's right and beyond i would say so tell us about your most epic concert experience oh um i would say uh it's there's so many you know different types of concerts but one of the ones that i can recall um recently was metallica concert uh in in vancouver when they were filming uh they were actually filming a movie during the concert so they decided to do um two concerts and they sold out immediately and they needed to do some extra filming. So they did a third concert and the third concert was only $5. But of course the scalpers bought up the tickets uh, and marked them up to, you know, $200. So it was like a regular concert. Um, but uh, we still, I still went to that show and they had a 360 degree stage uh, with, you know, all of their album covers sort of represented in stages as they, uh, played throughout the concert with, you know, the ride, the lightning electric chair came down. There was actual electricity bolts coming from the sky, hitting poles and there was flames. Um, so it's great when artists put on, you know, an experience, uh, more than just playing their songs. And I think those guys, they've they've been touring for so many years that you get bored. So you want to spice it up. Um, so that was really great. And, you know, those are one of my favorite bands, but, um, I do vary, you know, to all different types of concerts to, towards Elton John and Metallica are a little bit different, you know, and I could go to a classical show as well. So but that one was really uh, memorable. Well, this seems like awesome. a perfect segue into this question then. What was the craziest or funniest thing you've ever seen? Oh, okay. Um, I have seen, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, Oh, um, so I went to a Foo Fighters concert and uh, Dave Grohl was was playing and there was this band that was opening for him. Um, and right before uh, the band was about to play, 
the drummer, his spleen ruptured. So, so he had to leave into emergency. And, uh, and, and also Dave Grohl had just broke his leg on the previous show. During the concert, he fell off the stage. So his leg, oh so he had a cast on his leg. <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they come up to him and they're like, man, the, the guy from the opening band, his spleen ruptured. Can you be the drummer for the opening band as well play in Foo Fighters as well? <laughs> and he's like, hell yeah, I'll do that. So oh my we got God. to experience like three plus hours of Dave Grohl, um, which was quite an amazing show. And he actually he had his band and then they left and he came out by himself and uh, wooed everybody for like another hour. And then his band came back for another hour. And man, that guy never stops. So that was one of the most crazy uh, experiences, you know, and that was also in Vancouver. That sounds epic. I mean, it, it's all, it's gotta be like, you know, if you went to see the who today on stage, I mean, these guys are 70 years old, geriatric sons of bitches, probably for taking vitamins. You know, I mean, I can't imagine what, you know, when you get that old performing, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, but they still got it in them. And it's mm-hmm. awesome. It's so awesome. So, <laughs> all right. So that takes care of that. Now, let me ask you this. Have it's a kind of a two-part question. And I guess the first part is what do you think about spending cryptocurrencies, you know, using it as a currency that, that they were designed to be. Yeah. And then what are your thoughts on purchasing it with a crypto ATM such as uh, coin flip? Okay. Um, first part of the question, I really do like the uh, utility in, in spending cryptocurrencies. You know, there's obvious value um, for, with Bitcoin, it's tougher because of the transaction fees and because of the 10 minute uh, confirmation time right now to be able to buy a coffee, right? Because you don't want to stand there for 10 minutes. Um, but right, with right, other right. coins, you know, the, the confirmation time can be seconds and there's no yeah. problem, you know. Um, and I, I'm hoping that more uh, businesses around the major cities throughout North America continue to increase adoption of cryptocurrencies. And I think that uh, it's a stepping stone towards. You know, it's almost like you know, if the if the government is going to be slow, then private companies will do things faster and innovate, and that will force everybody to step it up to the next level, right? And eventually, uh, there will be government-backed uh, digital currencies that are based on blockchain uh, or cryptography as well. And yeah, those yeah, will yeah. Be super fast, we, right? So we don't want government-backed nothing. Come on. No, yeah some people will want to use it but the people that don't um you know right. it's still great value for uh private money that is transferable you know across the world you can already send you know like somebody last month sent 100 million dollars of ether to australia yeah. and it costs like 10 cents and it got there in like right. a second right so that's a clear advantage over any other type of transferring value across the world so obviously exactly. we need to continue building on that right no agreed agreed I, I, you know I, I i i said that about when you know when you brought up backed by the government and it's just it brings up it can bring up such a long topic right speaking mm-hmm. politics but it's just a matter of I'm really stuck on the decentralization of finance. I, I, I finance needs to be not a centralized thing. We can't have certain entities just gaining so much money mm-hmm. because of 
the fact that they control an entity, uh, a finance, right? Or because they control a currency. So Definitely. I think, I think that's a big benefit towards the freedom for the people to be able to have some level of equality, not totally, because you, you have those that work harder than others. So, you know, that's a separation in and of itself, but I don't think that, um, okay, because you don't have a job that you've had for more than six months, you can't get a bank account. Well, bullshit, right? Yeah. You should be able to go buy crypto and get an, you can get an account and buy crypto and blah, 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 or not an account, but a wall. So I think, um, I think that makes it a lot easier. Plus people, a lot of people in these other countries don't really have banks around, right? In the, in the rural areas that they're stuck in. So, but they all have phones. So then that kind of opens that up too. So. Yeah, it's a, that's a whole nother, whole nother podcast. We need to, we need to do a, a governmental slam. We need to, oh. There we go. We'll just piss off all of them. Yeah, right. You want to hear Mitch fired up. Yeah. Give me on a government <laughs> slam podcast. Oh boy. <laughs> Maybe we should get some IRS agents on. Seriously. Well, let's not, let's not, let's not live roast the IRS. That'd probably be a bad idea. You have fun with it. You know that. <laughs> It would be a great time, though. Oh, it would. If we could do a podcast with the IRS and Nuriel and Tone Vase oh, yeah. and Alex Mashinsky all at once, mm-hmm. that'd be insane. You know, and we can get John McAfee in there just to add some, <laughs> add what some the spice. fuck just happened? Did right. he just say that? You right. know, just to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because John will say uh, it. <laughs> oh, he'll say it. If it needs he'll to be said, it. he'll say it. He ain't old nothing exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I had John on uh, the Crypto Coin Show last month, and and yeah, nothing was held back there. And, uh, you know, a simple question about uh, a decentralized exchange goes into a anti-government uh, <laughs> spiel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, never, and it always keeps you guessing what he's going to say next. We've had him on, like, what, like three times now? Yeah, or three short. And, and, and Janice is always like, she's almost funnier in most cases because she's always got something to say to him too. That, right. Well, I love it when you ask Janice a question and John answers it. It's like, hello. It's like, John, come on now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us about the silent disco you went to way back when. Wow. Um, yeah, so, you know, being in the uh, events industry i'm always looking for new and innovative ways uh to to keep a party going and um one of these uh companies in western canada here runs a company called quiet events and it's really cool um you you know you get a a headset and it actually has three different frequencies and then the the dj can sync his uh his turntables to you know the, the frequencies are green red and blue so you can actually have three djs playing you can have a green dj a blue dj and a red dj you have everybody on the dance floor. And then if you have green on, you can see the other people uh, that are also wearing green headsets. So you can dance with people that are you know, listening to the same song. But there's also people right beside you with blue headsets. They're listening to a totally different genre of music. And they're dancing to a totally different beat. And if you take the headphones off, there's no, there's no music playing at all. Um, so it's very interesting um, to be able to yeah, listen to the song you want to listen to. If your friends want to listen to something else, you can still dance with them. That's really cool. And that uh, opens it up for people that are affected by loud noise and stuff too. Definitely. Uh, but also my childish brain goes the opposite direction. And it's like, so what you're saying is I can go in there and I can turn on my own music and let everybody dance to the beat of whatever music I want them to listen to. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and no noise complaints, which is if you're partying at five in the morning. So, and they are starting to use it at conferences as well. Um, and you know, I was talking to the owner of the company. He said they can do ten channels, which I'm sure would be wow. a cluster uh, to have ten different speakers on the stage at the same time. Uh, but you can do ten different frequencies. You could change it to uh, whichever one and, and jump back and forth between speakers. Um, so yeah, that, that's they're starting to get really popular, and uh, I think. You know, in this in this world where everybody's super sensitive and uh, needs to uh, feel like they're, you know, being abused, then if you can just use these headphones to uh, keep your music down in the middle of the night and continue the party, um, then it's uh, it works out for everybody. There you go. That's super awesome. Have you ever uh, done any thinking on events that combine 360 cameras and VR technology? Definitely. Yeah, we um, we actually hosted an event at the event chain office about how to um, create immersive events and include uh, AR and VR and um, visual mapping into, um, into your events. And I think, I don't know if it was, uh, yeah, it was, in, it was in Vegas at the World CryptoCon last year. Um, there was uh, an event at Area 15 and they had that, uh, that um, meow cat uh, skull, there was a skull at the, con, uh, at the event there and they had a full visual mapping uh, onto the skull and you can put anything you want you know you could put cryptocurrencies in the eyes and have it flash different designs and just taking events to the next level um and i and i hope that you know with with vr um the the quality increases um, i have spoken at a vr event that was actually held in person in alberta and the attendees went to the event venue and put on the headsets and the speakers were coming in from around the world so i actually was in los angeles at the time with my VR headset in a VR auditorium speaking to a group of people that partially were in Alberta and other people were around the world. Uh, but the graphics do need to, uh, you know, increase on that, but the, uh, the options are limitless and, you know, I, I know the after parties are fun, uh, but, uh, if you're traveling across the world for a, a quick talk and you can just zoom into VR or have a virtual conference, uh, that's going to save a lot of travel time. So that could be part of the future going to be awesome. And I mean, tech advances so fast, we'll be there soon enough. Oh, for sure. Speed for wise. sure. Ashton, what makes a pizza Canadian? What makes a pizza Canadian? Um, <laughs> well, you have to have Canadian maple bacon. Um, that's oh, yeah. definitely a Canadian staple. Um, that or with all the, the hipster uh, vegans in Vancouver, um, there's lots of uh, veggie alternatives that are coming up with crazy vegetables on, on pizza as well. But um, definitely that staple for those uh, classic Canadians is the Canadian maple bacon pizza. Yeah, I, I definitely love the, um, you know, the different pizzas nowadays and, and getting all the vegetables. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but I do and am thinking more daily about eating healthy. So, you know, having, you're going to get a pizza, it's bad enough in itself, but at least if you get a veggie pizza, you know, there's more good on it than there's bad. Yeah, I feel you. And it's almost impossible to remove pizza from your diet. It's just a, such a staple for North America that it's like, you know, and I've been plant-based for officially seven years, but there's pizza places across the street and I still go there, you know, and, and I don't get the maple bacon, but I get the veggies, but how can you remove right. pizza from your life? It's just too important. Uh. It is. It it's is. Good. It's too good. Even like even veggie pieces is so delicious that it's like 
you might as well. <laughs> That's one of the things that I don't understand about. I, I, you know, I see a lot of people complain about, you know, how the, the imitation foods taste so gross. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, and of course, I'm speaking totally from inexperience because I've obviously never, I'm from Montana. Like, if I went a day without meat, I'd lose my mind. But um, I feel like I would almost enjoy just eating the vegetables as they are or whatever it is instead of trying to like make them taste like meat. I feel like that makes it worse in my opinion, but yeah, I don't mind. Um, you know, just, just vegetables and I try to put as many vegetables on there as I can, but there are, um, you know, there's beyond meat sausage balls and there's like vegan chicken and I add those on there too and they're good, but it's not like I care if they're on there or not. Like I'll go for a veggie pizza any day, but uh, once in a while mix it up with some, with some barbecue, vegan chicken and they have all these options you know that, that are increasingly for people that want to have something that they feel like they're empty if they only eat vegetables um so they need something alternative so i could go for either or nice nice probably starting to get better i've only tried a very small selection of these things and that you know the ones i've tried are always terrible but i yeah maybe i should go out and buy myself an impossible whopper and pretend like that counts <laughs> you know I, I i've had those veggie based burgers and they're actually not bad actually they're i've seen something an article somewhere I was, you know, scrolling through something, maybe the internet or probably uh, Twitter, and it said something that there was actually a lawsuit out because there's not really enough separation between the amount of meat that's in the Impossible Burger, I guess. So uh, it's pretty, it, it, I mean, seriously, you bite it, you cannot tell. I couldn't really tell the difference, especially if you see it, right? Oh my God. I'm remembering back in the day of like probably what, what were they called like Boca burgers or some shit. I know we'd go to Costco and they would be on sample and those ones were actually pretty good. Yeah. Pretty for good. a while they had um, this limitation where, you know, if the imitation meat didn't have the same protein levels and almost every single, you know, thing was the same chemical wise as regular meat, then they weren't allowed to sell it. Uh, but they managed to uh, get past that. And um, they do have plant-based proteins in the burgers and, you know, beyond meat, I don't know if you've been looking at the finance side, but, we did an IPO uh-huh. at about $60 and it went up to $250 uh, after the IPO. So anybody who bought nice. it in the market, uh, it's one of the top companies. And sort of my uh, vision for 2020, 2021 is whatever those guys did with beef, well, guess what's next? It's chicken, right? So where's the next multi-billion dollar plant-based chicken IPO coming from. If it's not Beyond Meat uh, branching out into a new um, section with chicken, then it's some other company. It's another multi-billion dollar opportunity for for investors as well. So then how, let me ask you this, from from the plant-based side of things, how do we keep from having to continue the GMO side? How do we keep from having to keep modifying these fruits and vegetables to, to keep up the plentifulness of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and make it a sustained industry. Right. And you got the same issues with beef too, but I mean, it, it's coming down to the fact that the world as a whole has just become gluttonous with everything and we're overusing everything, everything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's definitely a bit of a, a carbon footprint with the, uh, you know, with the agricultural industries. Um, but Hey, you know, to, to grow a cow, you got to feed it vegetables, oh, and yeah. corn and wheat first. So, and the ratio is about a hundred to one. Um, so I believe that, you know, as you can, we can create with technology, more efficient greenhouses that stack like towers 
um, and grow plants more efficiently, uh, we'll be able to create enough food for, for everybody. Um, and it, you know, we can't really do that in, in the dairy industry. You can't stack cows on top of each other in a, in a 30 story skyscraper, but plants are another story. So I got to ask you, have you ever used a crypto ATM? I have used crypto ATMs and, uh, there's actually one in Vancouver here that was the first Bitcoin ATM in the world. And that's actually the one that I use quite often. No way. That's awesome. Yeah. How's your experience like that? Do you like crypto ATMs? If you, I guess if you use it quite often, you must like it a little bit. Right. Yeah. They're, um, they're convenient. It's competitive when there's different companies around, uh, Vancouver that have different ATMs. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, they're definitely a convenient way to, for people that, um, you know, they don't understand when they're trying to buy their first coins. They're like, Oh, I have to buy like a whole Bitcoin. I don't have $10,000. It's like, no, dude, you just put a hundred dollars into the ATM and you'll get, you know, 0.01. Um, and, and then they get it on their phone and it's like, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when you take people there and, and you watch them make their first transaction, um, so yeah, it's uh, very convenient and not as intimidating as uh, signing up to a, a site that you're, you know, you're not talking to the people and you're there and you're putting your money in rather than trying to wire somebody money from your bank account. Exactly. It's definitely a more convenient experience. It's kind of, it's really frustrating almost trying to buy crypto online sometimes. It's getting easier now with things like the Cash App, but even buying from Coinbase, I always had issues where um, at the time a bank was Wells Fargo. And so I would buy Bitcoin and then it would let the transaction go through and then it would immediately get reversed. And I'd have to call Wells Fargo and be like, yeah, I really did want to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, fucking A. <laughs> it was only ever Coinbase transactions that I ever had that happen with or, yep. or you know, crypto related stuff and it drove me nuts. But it's super convenient to be able to just walk up and put some money in an ATM. Uh, coin flip is not, we're only, they're only in the U S right now. So you probably don't have one up there in Vancouver, obviously. But right. We're, uh, I think they're looking at expanding that pretty soon. So yeah, no, they don't have them here yet, but I have seen them and I've been to a lot of crypto conferences in, uh, down the West coast and, and up the East coast as well. And they're quite predominant. So it seems like they're growing. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty well saturated over there. They're doing an awesome job. Daniel and Dustin and the rest of the team are, are kicking ass and we're uh, excited to have them on as sponsors for sure. I think they got them in like 36 States now, don't they? Something like that. I mean, it's they have a lot of machines out there now. Yeah. You know, they're are they still number one? In yeah, I think so. Machines. I think so. Nice. nice. So, Ashton, last question before we wrap here: What's your favorite hockey team? And is there any uh, particular memories from your hockey love mm-hmm. that you'd like to share? Better not oh. say the Maple Leafs. Uh, <laughs> pulling at the hard strings. I figured there might be a little contention here, depending on what he says. So, um, so you know, being from Canada, of course. Hockey's our favorite sport. Um, and I used to be a diehard hockey fan. Um, but, being, you know, being running a blockchain company and uh, having a crypto media company takes up a lot of time. So I haven't been able to follow it as much. But, uh, of course, um, the number one team would have to be the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, but if I'm going to, you know, root for any American teams, uh, I really did like um, the Red Wings, Detroit. Chicago as well. They were always huge rivals with Vancouver. Good thing you said Detroit first. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and uh, and and of course, uh, the the top memory would have to be the Vancouver Canucks going to the Stanley Cup uh, in in 2010, 2011, Game Seven, 60 minutes from the Stanley Cup, and and unfortunately they couldn't make it through. But um, 
that, you know, was the highlight of, of the whole franchise. And I'm glad I got to be a part of it at the peak of my hockey career, hockey watching career, awesome. really. <laughs> right. Hockey career. Hockey watching career is the same. Yeah, thing. yeah. Grew up with Don Sherry. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, that guy was something else. Ashton, this has been a really fun podcast. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Can't wait until we get to actually run into each other again. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Likewise, guys, I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at some more crypto conferences uh, down in the states, and hopefully, eventually. We can have a large crypto conference in Vancouver here. And we have one in Toronto, but uh, we're looking to expand the Vancouver scene. So it'll be a pleasure to host you guys up in Vancouver as well. And uh, if not, sick. I'll probably see you guys in, uh, in LA or Vegas uh, in, in the near future. Right. Maybe we can get you to go to Dubai with us <laughs> for the Satoshi Awards in October. That'd be awesome. That's going to be sick. In, in fact, I don't know what Steve uh, is doing for ticketing, but maybe... Maybe they need to be talking. I don't know. We'll yeah. Ask yeah. Questions. Right. <laughs> I think we're actually in discussion with them already, but, uh, oh, I would well, love see, a, there you go. Yeah. You know, so, uh, we, we we're on the crypto uh, conferences for sure. That's our number one target with event chain. And, um, there's, if you go to eventchain.io right now, you can see we have, you know, crypto Vegas. Uh, we did the, um, ticketing for Miami Bitcoin and and the UCLA conferences and and the Toronto Blockchain Futures Conference coming up as well. So we are all about helping the community grow and making sure that they can accept cryptocurrencies. Uh, you awesome. know, so that's what we're all about, Beautiful. and uh, we're going to continue to push and grow the industry forward. Love it, right on, Love brother. It. Thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Yep. Have Thank yourself you a good afternoon, buddy. All right. You bet. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye, guys. Peace. But. Man, that was fun. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, I, I really missed that after party. Oh my god, in Los Angeles. Yeah, and not only just because of the, you know, the good experience and all the friends, but the tacos were fucking amazing. Oh, the tacos were off the hook, dude. <laughs> Sorry, they were just so good. They're they were. Beer, I mean. They were. You know, the guy was cooking the stuff on the grill right there in front of you. They were just, ah, oh, man, those were good. Yeah, and then you got to talk to tell tell us a little bit. I know we didn't get to touch on this while Ashton was still on, but why don't you? Uh, oh, about talking to the guy. Conversation about, you had with the guy about crypto. Yeah, yeah I, to be honest with you, I don't remember a whole lot of it other than the fact that we, you know, I we talked a lot about crypto as far as what it is and how it could benefit. You know, if he actually took it as a, a payment um, and stuff like that. And I don't remember if I got his card, but I know I we had our cards then, so I'm pretty sure I gave them one of our cards. Well, you know, I saved the name of their company. I'll have to go find it. Maybe we okay. can reach out to them and see if they want to come on the show and talk about it. That would be awesome. That would be really cool. Cause he was all about it, you know, and then getting them to come to events to, to cater the events and paying them in cryptocurrencies. He was all fired up about that. That'd be sweet. It would. So we'll have to, we'll have to follow up on that. Yeah, it's it's been a good week though, man. It's I I really want to start traveling again. It's been like three months since we've gone to a convention, but I'm also just kind of content rabbit holing myself in here, getting ready for the spring and summer. Right, um, stacking my bags a little bit, hoping for some Bitcoin moon rocket action. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we try every time to make it fun and enjoyable for the listeners as well as the guests that come onto the show. If you're interested in coming on the show and talking with us and putting it out there to the entire community, by all means, 
look up uh, Miss Rebecca White. I make lemonade and she will help you set that up. And huge shout out to CoinFlip ATMs and Brinker Group for sponsoring this episode. We really stoked to have them uh, backing us and believing in what we're doing. And, and, and we're super excited to be able to put their name out to you guys. So that's right. Check them out. That's right. CoinFlip.tech and Brinker Group Detroit. Yep. Holding the world. All right. You guys have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. Peace.